I'm your host, Anita Grantham. Welcome to episode five of HR Unplugged. Today, we'll talk about how a professional development strategy can boost your recruiting efforts and employee retention. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm Takara. Uh, I am a marketer here at Bamboo HR. I've been with the company for almost a year and a half, and and I really just love um, making great places to work. I'm really passionate about organizational culture, and it's why I came to Bamboo. And I've been just amazed by what I get to be part of here, and I want to share. So, so excited for our fifth session, our fifth episode, how professional development strategy boosts recruiting and retention. So we've been talking about strategies for retention, essentially, and then breaking that down into some different kind of segments, because there's a lot of components to that and how to make that um, work cohesively and holistically for your organization. So we're going to get into that today, which is exciting. I'm really looking forward to that chat. I think we have a lot of good stuff to share. So we'll be covering the state of professional development uh, benefits. We'll talk about foundations and new ideas for professional development strategy. We're going to have to say professional development a lot today. So I just need to get that (laughs) in my mouth. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, uh, we'll have some actual steps for you. We always want to give you something you can go home or well, go back to work, go back to homework, you know, if you work from home remotely and get started on implementing some strategies that you are working on. And um, Anita, can you just introduce yourself for anybody who's new here today? Hi, thanks, Takara. Welcome, everyone. Excited to see you all from all over the world. My name is Anita Grantham, and I am loving creating great places to work. I've been in the people HR space um, my whole career, pretty much, which is only, you know, I'm 29 forever. So it's not been that long, of course. No. And I love working with entrepreneurs. I love working with small business. I love working in tech. And I love working at Bamboo HR, so I'm excited to be here with all of you today. So digging into the current state of professional development benefits, what are you seeing in research and your knowledge about this industry, Anita? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating time where we've seen a lot of data saying that you have to have professional development to have a great engaged workforce. You know, we've seen organizations with a strong learning culture say that they're 52% more productive. They see a higher, uh, 34% higher retention rate from those that don't have those opportunities. And I think by and large, as we look at exit interview data, people leave for opportunities to grow. So it's, it's just an interesting time to be offering these services. And it's great to see that a lot of you are making it work for the business. Yeah. Awesome. I know it's always on my mind. I asked about it when I interview anywhere, when I interviewed at Bamboo. So definitely you know, people really care about their, about their goals and their, how they're going to work in a cohesive, mutually beneficial relationship with their, with their employer. With professional development opportunities being so important, what, what professional development opportunities are the most important to employees that might leave their job for that growth opportunity? Like you mentioned in those exit surveys. It breaks my heart when people leave their current organization to go to a new organization for professional development. So I always get really curious. Oftentimes they see professional development as I get a promotion. So one takeaway I'd love you all to think about is 
why are they leaving and what exactly are they leaving for? And what does professional development mean to your organization? You know, we've kind of been in this four-part series around a talent rewards philosophy and, and development and ability to learn is one of the pillars for creating a successful rewards strategy. And so part of it is directly correlated to what is important to your organization? Are you a learning culture organization? Do you believe in learning for the sake of learning? Do you believe in learning for the sake of the customer? Do you believe in learning because it helps people grow into their next best role? And so understanding really what you're delivering, how the team members are receiving it, and does those things align, Dakara, is really where I see it get off kilter when people go to leave for professional development. And it makes me ask 10 more questions about it. Yeah, those are probably really good questions for everyone to have in their back pocket to make sure, you know, what are, are we doing this right? Are we conveying this clearly and creating those opportunities? Um, I kind of want to bring up a question from the chat. It's a really tough one, mm-hmm. but I think it's one of those ones. This is like the kind of questions that we want to get into the conversations about here. Yeah. And Justin asks, how do you help employees become more professional when they aren't capable? Um, he did specify also he works in the construction industry, but when you're talking about a professional development opportunity and trying to help grow, if you want to be growing your team members, what do you do when you have team members who maybe don't seem like they're capable? Justin, I'm curious, I'll, I'll take a piece of this question, but if you could put in the chat, are you working out? I spent 10 years in construction, so this is near and dear to my heart. I'm curious, are you in a general contractor scenario where you're doing commercial uh, you know, shell and TI work? Are you in residential construction? Because that will help me kind of gauge the level of professionalism that you're craving. Yes, commercial and residential. And um, so are you feeling professionalism needs to be both for commercial and residential customers? So, so one thing, Justin, I'd like to push you on and I'd push you all on is when they aren't capable. What does that mean that they aren't capable and who's determining capability. Are you observing them and they're just not able to show up or they don't want to show up? The optimist in me wants to believe that everybody's capable. And if you're actually going to say that somebody's not capable, I'd want to have a deeper conversation because I feel like that's a, a statement that we just haven't created the reason for them to change their behavior. I believe humans can change anything when they're committed to something bigger. Yeah, somebody else believes this too. So that's that's a bigger philosophical point is I believe everyone is capable. If you're not having good luck figuring out a way to incentivize them into this capability, one of the biggest things that we can do is explain why. Why does it matter that we show up professionally on a job site? They literally tell me they're too stupid to use a cell phone. And so there's lots, there's lots here. There's lots here to go through, Justin. So one of it is, are they really committed? I know you're not kidding. Uh, Are they really committed to their job? Because this is what the job takes. And the job takes communication between the owner, the tenant, the subcontractors, and the whole team that's coming together. And if they're on that job site, that's what they're responsible for. One of their capabilities and responsibilities is communicating to the team that they're on site with what is happening and what is not. So if they're unwilling to use a cell phone, then I think you probably need to lead them out to pasture and help them find a job that they don't need to use technology for or communication skills for. And that's okay. It's not meant to sound judgmental after we've given them the opportunity to understand what is important about it. 
And so one is, do you have the right profile of person in that position would be kind of the thing that would back me out to say, why are we in this predicament? And actually, that's what I like to look at. If there's a broader message I can share here on this point, when I experience like, oh, you know, this teammate isn't doing it or this segment isn't doing it. I look at myself and say, what am I doing that's not enabling them to be successful? Because I think it's important for you not to be the filter, Justin, for you to actually push the customer and the team members to talk to each other. You may be in the room, you may be facilitating that, but part of it is your demonstration so they can see what they need to be. And if they don't have an example, a real life example of what's happening, how do they see what they want to become? And so it's through your demonstration and action that will help them be able to have those conversations. You know, and another thing you might just want to consider, they just may not have the self-confidence to be able to do it, especially for, you know, residential and commercial customers and clients. They're sophisticated. They may have a lot of big words that they use. And for somebody that's working on the job site that may not have the same education or background, part of our job is to help them see that they don't need that to have confidence and to speak articulately around what's happening. I can't even say articulately, right? To um, to speak with knowledge around what's happening on the job site, because I love to have that frontline perspective, especially in construction around what is actually happening. Safety is a big consideration, schedule, price quality. All of those things are inputs into a strong project that is construction. So there's a lot there. So one, do you have the right profile? Two, have you shown them what success looks like? Three, have you asked them if that's what they want in their career path? And four, what other training and opportunity are you giving them through your own demonstration and partnering with them to gain confidence in those conversations? Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a pretty solid uh, take there on that. And I want to use this as like a segue to Anita to ask you about, you know, what about your talent strategy influencing your professional development options? Is everyone that you're hiring looking for professional development? How do we how do we strategize from onboarding for this? This is a big one because if you're offering or not offering these things, it's totally dependent on the type of talent that you want to bring into the business. So if we continue on the construction tangent here and we say, hey, I'm working in a commercial contractor, we're doing tenant improvements. So that means the shell of the building is built. Tenant improvement is all the space that's built out after the shell is built. It's usually two different contractors because it's two different skill sets, two different types of contracting skill sets that you need to build a shell of a building versus the interior, the problems, the challenges, the opportunities of the space is different. And so if you say, I want to be the best, you know, shell contractor in this region, what does it take to be the best? It means that I run a tight quality ship. It means I have standards for quality, which means my subcontractors on the job adhere to these standards. They're these levels of certifications. And that means my own team that's interacting with these subcontractors has to have experience building these buildings before, interacting with the customer and with the subcontractors and understanding safety. So maybe you're only hiring experienced talent from other contractors because you have you know, this vision of being the best. 
So I would really kind of ask five wise around everything your vision is around what you want to be as an organization. And from that piece, it will tell you what type of talent makes that vision a reality. And we don't do that. You know, it's my kind of my number one pick on other HR people that say they aren't strategic or valued for being strategic. This is the way, again, that you get your place at the table, that you say, this is the type of talent that meets the vision if we're serious about the vision. And honestly, most founders and executive teams don't have true strength and vision. So it's a great opportunity for you as the HR leader to help them articulate that and then create the bridge to this is the type of talent that's going to make that vision a reality. And so putting that together um, would be really useful. And then that way you can go out and secure the talent you want and you don't want that can go deliver on those things. So it sounds like there's a breakdown here between whether you're um, buying talent or building talent. Yes. Yes. I love that you shared this. So a lot of us go in and we say, we want to grow people, right? That's where professional development is housed is I want to grow you into your next job, but there are some jobs that you need experienced people in. Like if we stay in construction, do you want somebody new to be your safety leader on a job site? I don't, I don't want to die. Right. So I would want somebody that's run a safety program at a successful general contractor for a number of years. I might take an entry-level team member and pair them with that experienced person. This came out of our conversation to Car about how can you use pairing as a low-cost opportunity for training to grow people into their next job. So you might take somebody and put them with the safety director for eight hours a week. And say, I'm going to help you grow in this path. This is your professional development. You're going to learn everything you need to know about safety in the next 24 months, because you're going to spend a day a week with our head of safety. And then you're going to get your own small project. And then you're going to work up in project size. So um, uh, those are the things that I would encourage you to think about as you're growing this talent and you decide whether you're going to build it or buy it. And that would be central to the discussion before you just go out and start putting job descriptions out on a website. Getting the profile nailed is key. Yeah. I want to follow up on that with Jane's question. Um, can you repeat the five questions for hiring correctly? Um, so to identify whether or not you need to buy or build your talent. So the first is like, what is the vision of the organization? Who do you want to be? right? Who, what is like in the next 24 months, I wouldn't do it longer than 24 months, but what does this organization need to be in the next 24 months? And then based on that, what is the type of talent I need in the building to be able to make that vision a reality? What are the roles? I actually get super role specific. We've been going through this at Bamboo. If I look at 2025 and who Bamboo is going to be in 2025, there are roles that I need experience in today right? That I have to have to build for the next 24 months. So we put out those roles and then the rest of them, we say we can hire people without strong experience and grow them in through our professional development program. And then we can talk about promotion and we can talk about job growth in the interview process. And to those that come in experienced, you say, hey, are you willing to really run and lead this function for the next 24 to 36 months? You're going to build the team. You're going to make it the bamboo way. And then you can talk about the progression path post that. 
but it's not going to be something where they come in and they're getting promoted every 12 months if you're hiring that experienced leader into the role. But it allows you to let them know what they can count on from their growth path because it ties to where the business is going in the vision. So I wanted to kind of follow up there. You mentioned, you know, you're going to maybe use tandem work, uh, partnering, pairing, however you want to refer to it, to train somebody into a new role. Um, you also have to have the projects and the, the growth in the organization if you're going to be growing your talent, if you want to grow them to stay, or are you growing them to put them out into the world um, and have that as part of your reputation? How... Can we talk about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I also want to answer this question in the chat. So you hire based on where you are now versus where you want to be in the next two to five years. I would say it's a combination of both. You've got to do both. There's roles that you need today that get you to the next two to five years. And there's roles that you don't need today that you can bring in for the problems and pain of today. So it's a combination strategy of build and buy in your overall talent strategy to meet the goal. So when you talk about Takara's perspective on this, you will bring people in. You will offer them exceptional development to grow their careers, and they're going to start progressing. And not everyone has a space when they progress to certain levels. Like for instance, at Bamboo, we have 1,200 team members. We have 41 in director level roles, right? So 41 seats for a director level position in a company of 1,200. Now, I think that's a little tight. I think we need to expand that out a little bit. We're working on it. However, I just want to use it to kind of prove the point that just because you have somebody ready to be a director doesn't mean you have a spot. And so this is what Takara is asking. If you really invest in professional development, part of what you have to believe is that they will want to move on. And if you don't have that opportunity because of your size, your growth rate, or your customer set, right, the business dictates the roles, the strategy dictates the roles, then they're going to go look for a job outside. And I've got to tell you, I, I hate losing great team members. I don't want them to leave Bamboo ever. And I know that's unrealistic, that there's going to be times where there's that next great job out there. And I want Bamboo to have the employer brand is a great place to be from that we've really developed the talent in a thoughtful way. And when they leave Bamboo for their next chapter, they're better prepared, they're more knowledgeable, they're more qualified in that job than any other place. I want Bamboo to be known as a talent-making machine. And we're going to do our best to hold on to every single person that we can through horizontal, diagonal, and vertical movement. And for those that we don't have a place for at the time the team member wants a move, we're going to find them their next best chapter, and they're going to be the best candidate for that job. I love that. I'm, I really um, have worked for great places, but didn't have a next step for me. And I really appreciated when they supported my growth. And I think that's one of the culture things that I've learned is is like a green flag, you know, for an organization, like when we, when your team members need to grow and need to go somewhere else, will you give good recommendations and referrals? And what does that say about your, your organizational brand and your hiring brand when you have a lot of talent coming out of your company? So when we're, when we're talking about, um, managing some of these professional development tracks, I want to ask a little bit about who are the key players, right? Because we know the employee, like we're talking a lot here in the chat, 
about how the employee um, specifically engages and participates in this process. And so we know they have to be an active, engaged participant. And you know, some of that is based on whether or not they're seeing that opportunity and, and having a, a two-way conversation dialogue to identify what opportunities they want and whether that's available. But who's all involved? Who's the key players? And what are what are the roles between them and how to create the professional development network in your organization? <laughs> I love this question, Takara. And one of the things I think we miss in professional development is the role of the team member. So think about all the conversations that you've had with team members, with yourself, with your peers, and they say to you, I just want to grow. I just want to be promoted. And then you say, well, what do you want to do? Or what's the next job? Or what are the different opportunities that you could move into based on that growth? And then the conversation kind of stops. And so as as employers, I think we need to provide great tools for the team member to be able to do the soul searching of what do I want out of my life in this career? I still say like, what am I going to grow up to be? Um, you know, and what do I want to do in the next version? A great book that I love. It's, it's, uh, it's called the everyday hero. It's one of my favorites. And if you're soul searching, I was just looking for it on my bookshelves. If you're soul searching about what you want to do next and actually Ram, uh, Robin Sharma has some great tools on his website for your own personal development on what you want in your life around the work pillar. And I think all of us owe it to ourselves to do that. Oftentimes we just land in the next job or we run away from the current job or we run to something because it seems like it's going to be really great and awesome, but we haven't done the work to know if it's really going to be right for us. And so that's the first of three things I want us to focus on is how do we help the team member really understand what they want in their life when it comes to their own career development? So point one, and then from there, simultaneously, the company is doing work to say, these are the roles. Yes. The everyday hero. I love that book. So the next piece is for the company to say, these are the roles that are going to go through promotion really quickly. These are the, these are the career paths. This is the money that you can make at each role. Here's the responsibility. Uh, what I dream of is a software where you can actually recruit from inside. So you could actually put in all of your skills and abilities, and you could see all the careers that would be available to you. And then from there, you could apply to things and it may not seem as an obvious adjacency. Right. But if you're doing something like we have a leader at Bamboo who was a school teacher and now she runs all of our customer support and you look at the core competencies of what it takes to be a teacher and what it takes to run a support team. And there's a lot of similarities around why she's great at it. But how many teachers would be like, I could leave teaching to go have this big executive corporate job at a tech company. They're not going to do that. So as you know, an HR team, I think it's our job to do a lot of, of help with what roles are available, what adjacencies you could move into, what are career paths. And this is actually a great job. If you're a leader of people in a department, this is part of your job. These are the things that you need to be thinking about and helping your team move through it and see opportunity. And to say, hey, Takara, you're really great at this, this, and this. I think you could be great over here in this job too. And it's through the match of these two conversations that magic really happens because you have a team member that's like, 
I like something that's fast paced. I like something that changes all the time. I like working with my customer. And then you have a leader that's like really committed to this team member and their growth. And they say, well, great. Here are all the opportunities inside this company that you could be open to. Why don't you go have lunch with so-and-so? Why don't you go shadow for an hour so-and-so in this department and so-and-so here and meet with this customer and come back and tell me what you learned about it. And that like, there's no software, there's no tool, there's no spreadsheet. It's just great leadership that we can engage in to help in the true heart of professional development. That is the type of leadership I love. And I didn't know existed until recently in my career. I, and, and as someone who, um, came from a low socioeconomic status, I can tell you that a lot of these things that you're saying were just like um, really tacit, seemed tacit to other people. And were these nuances that of the business world that took a while for me to figure out. And uh, it's something that I've noticed as I've started to look into mentorship, that that's like something people don't know already. People don't know how to go about finding out what other opportunities exist and what they could be good at and what they could do when we're like in school. And it's like, oh, you could be a, you know, astronaut or, or like a teacher or, you know, um, just like the surface level jobs, but the things we actually do every day in these roles are really nuanced. And especially in the technology world, um, as, as we grow and as companies get bigger, then the roles get more nuanced. Right. So I think we, yeah, we do have to help people understand what, what are the options, what's available. I love that. I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> um, that's so now, as we were talking about this, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of like customized development as that, like, uh, is what I'm taking away from that, which sounds kind of hard, um, for depending on the organization or maybe even expensive. Um, what, what would you say about how to, uh, identify like a professional development, uh, program or something that, and address the potential expenses or, um, how, you know, how customized can we really get? How do we know how we can serve best serve the most employees? How do we actually implement something that facilitates those conversations and that type of, of opportunity building? It's a great question Dakara, because it does become overwhelming. It's like, how do you customize it? How do you make it available for everyone? You know, all, all of those pieces. So what I want to share with you is there's no one responsible for your professional development, but you, and you can ask in your interviews, what do you do? How do we have these conversations? How do you lead through, um, you know, conversations like this? So part of it, Takara, is an organization that invests in leadership first and also creating a standard for leaders. We have so much turnover in the broader, you know, population right now. We have a lot of leaders that are new leaders. They've never led before. And so one of the things I would look for, um, this is one of the things I looked for when I came to Bamboo, I wanted to work for leaders that I could learn from. I wanted to, if I go through their track record and I look at their profile, I want them to have operated at larger scale. I wanted them to see more than I've seen in different levels of business than I've seen before, because through that, I know that was important to my own development in my role. So that's like one perspective of, of the puzzle to Cara is like, is it important to the organization and how mature is the organization right now? You know, we've been an economy up until the last 
you know, 12 months that's so rich with cash that any startup person out of college could go get millions of dollars to start their startup. And they know nothing about leadership and they know nothing about building an organization. So do you want to go work for, the, for, for those people that, you know, are, are funding their, their side hustle and some of them become really successful. And I know a fair amount of them and they're not exceptional leaders. And so if leadership is important to you, one is like, look at the track record of the CEO and it'll directly correlate to the level of professional development in the organization. And then if we're talking about, you know, small, small business, I would go back to that business strategy and saying, okay, if we want to be the best contractor in the world, and we want to know uh, one of the, um, you know, the objectives or key results we had as a contractor was no injuries. And so that means we invested a ton into safety training and everybody understood what safety training was on our job site and what it wasn't because we didn't want to lose any lives on a job site ever. And so that ties to the mission. It ties to the level of training. It's something that you're going to buy, right? You're not going to build in that training. You want to have the best trainers to be a part of it. And that's something that you build into your cost because it's who you want to be as an organization. But that's why it ties together. Like if I go in and I get Udemy, I love Udemy as a product. If I give that to all my team members, what's my intention? What do I want to create? Does it help them get their next promotion? Does it help them build the company of the vision that I have? Does it help them be a better human? All of those are great intentions. What, what business case are you going to make? So I would encourage you to kind of look through that. If you're doing a tuition reimbursement program, why are you doing it? Do you, are you hiring teachers? Like one of my favorite companies out there is, um, you know, is power school and they're doing a lot for online education through K through 12. So you might do tuition reimbursement because you want to move teachers into your own space. You want to continue to value education. Like you'll do things that speak to the mission of what you're driving. So that's really Takara, how I would look at the expense reward is how does it tie to, to the customer and the mission of the organization? Okay, great. Yeah. So I think we've talked a lot about uh, figuring out kind of what, um, whether or not we should be offering these things and we want to know how it, how it ties to retention. Um, this is definitely like a key focus for, for a lot of people right now. Right. And we've mentioned, um, obviously we want to give them opportunities if we have roles to fill, if the company is growing, but in general, uh, maybe if you're, you know, maybe not growing into roles that you need to fill, but you just want to improve employee engagement, satisfaction, and retention. What are some strategies around this to achieve those goals? It's a great question. I mean, we've seen that in the first stat we we mentioned in the top of the hour that professional development definitely helps with retention. And one of the things that Takara brought up was the ability to pair with people that you want to learn from. So part of it is like, how can you provide opportunities for people to work together, to learn together? I always love on my teams for everybody to be able to do every job. So I love them to do rotations through everybody's job and they can learn something new. They could actually learn what they don't want to do, which is as valuable, if not more valuable than knowing what you love to do. And then you always have a backup plan. So there's a lot of things that you can do that aren't expensive that allow you to build retention because I think retention is correlated to your connection you have with your team, the people that you work with. 
And so if you're building relationships and trust with the team, people want to stay because they enjoy it and they feel like they can learn from each other and they have each other's back, right? Like I don't, Takara, do you remember when you were, you were ill and we were talking about this? I'm like, who else can help you do it? Who else is trained to do these things? You know, God forbid, I, I can't work for the next week. Who else on my team could do the things that I'm doing? And how have I trained up my team around me so that the business doesn't suffer, the customer doesn't suffer if I can't, you know, be effective at work that week. And we all need that. And it provides somebody else an opportunity to grow. And so I'm a little, I'm a little opposite in this and I'm a little bit of a risk taker at heart. And so I'll give people more opportunity because then I can see where the gap is. If I give them the opportunity to own everything and they come 75% of the way, I can help them grow the next 25%. And that's really useful. And really like in any of our jobs outside of construction, I, I can, I can fix it, right? There's no mistake too big that I can't fix. And if I'm really worried that I'm going to foul something up, then I go with you to help you right? I let you run it. I don't say anything. I stay in the background, but I'm there to make sure that we have a safety net, right? I'm not just going to give you a rope and let you jump off the, off the edge. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And you have full ownership. I did this a lot in a different lifetime of mine where I would let people run everything all together. And then we would come back together in a one-on-one and we'd say, what did we learn? What would we do again? What would we not do again? How would we fix it? Did we mess anything up that we need to go clean up? That is the best kind of learning and it doesn't come through a purchase program. Yeah, building in some opportunities to to potentially fail is a great way to learn for people. And I imagine that's, you know, probably getting leadership on board with that sometimes and figuring out the specific ways in which you can offer that to your team and give them those chances, I'm sure is, is a nuanced process, but I, I imagine, I mean, I wouldn't be able to learn and grow if, if ever, if I wasn't given a chance to do something poorly or wrong that I haven't done before. Otherwise, how am I going to get there? (laughs) So that's it. I love it. Yeah, that's great. And so I know we were talking about, um, retention as well as satisfaction and everything, but ultimately at the, at the, end of the day, we need, um, there's gotta be like some foundational structure around these programs, right. Um, that maybe is a little universal to every organization. Um, so we're talking about some, like, you know, how do we find little ways to customize, but as far as like the foundations, what, what is some, what are all the little, um, or the baseline pieces that everyone needs to make sure that they have included in their professional development program strategy? So one is what is the vision of the organization? What does the organization want to achieve? What is the talent required to go make the vision a reality? And then am I building or buying that talent? And what do I have already resident, right? Because you don't want to lose that. You want to retain that talent. So who's in the building that can start executing on that strategy? And who do I need to go get to do it? So to me, those are the three pivotal foundational points to professional development. And then from there, you can say, okay, do I care about failure? Am I going to give people opportunity to fail? That's usually where we start, right? As you see some sexy tech company being like, failure is great, fail forward. Then you haven't tied it back to what is the talent I need and how does it affect the business? And is failure okay in all roles? I don't know. It's not okay if failure tips over your tech stack and your customers are suffering an outage. That doesn't work. 
So failure doesn't work in all roles. Let's be specific about where failure works. And it does need to be followed up with learning around, this is what I, what I know, this is what I don't know, and this is what I'm going to go do to get it done. So part of it is a cultural piece of how comfortable am I saying, I don't know. This is a big part of our foundation of professional development. I love saying, I don't know when it's authentic because I don't want anybody to think I do know when I don't, that's worse for me. So I'd rather go to Cara and say, I've never done a webinar before. I've never talked to this many people and I don't know how to do it. And I'd love to learn best practices. And in fact, we even went to some people that I think are really great at webinars. And we've said, how do we do this? Like, can you share with us what you've learned so that we can be effective at our webinar practice? And so, you know, really being honest about what failure means, what acknowledging that you don't know means all builds into your foundation of your professional development strategy. Great. Okay. And there was a, there was a comment here. Um, Joan was responding to Jacqueline uh, that even if development has to come out of my own pocket, if it, is it worth it? I think is what it was being said. And I think, um, you know, we're kind of discussing the differences between learning on the job um, and paying for third-party external resources. There's definitely a cost either way, right? How do, so um, I don't know if it would be helpful to kind of assess like or advise how to assess what those costs are and how you would present that and as part of this plan as far as like getting buy-in from leadership about how you're going to go about creating this this program. Yeah, so you have to decide what's important to the organization. So I'll give you an example. One thing that Bamboo pays for is Financial Peace University. So we believe that all Bambooigans should have financial freedom. And so we pay for the Dave Ramsey course. And we so we actually reimburse you once you complete it. You get the money reimbursed for you. And I was actually just on our 401k quarterly meeting this morning, and we have the highest participation rate in our match 401k, and we have the highest participation rate in our HSA programs, which is what an HR person dreams of. And the reason why we have two high rates in both of those things is because we offer financial freedom. So people understand that through the financial peace course, why the HSA is a as a, you know, a financially stable way to go and what a match 401k can do for you over time. And so think about tying that together. And that's just a core tenant to how our founders were able to bootstrap bamboo for so long. And they learned so much to that, that they wanted to give the gift to everyone. So how do you make a case? You find something that's important to the founders. You find a way that it impacts and improves the bottom line. When people use their HSA, we all know that our health insurance costs are lower and that it makes a difference to our overall plan and that our team members are healthier and they're thinking about how dollars are spent towards their own individual healthcare. So when you're able to kind of tie that thread together, then the money will come out for it if your business is performing. So really thinking about how you put all these pieces together and, and differentiating from this is my own pet rock to this is a pet rock of the organization, right? Because a lot of times as HR professionals, we go advocate for what we think or what matters to us. And you have to separate yourself from that. And you have to say, I'm here on behalf of the organization, what matters to the organization, what's most beneficial to the organization. And from that place, you can create anything. 
That's, that's so clever. It's like a little psychology, re- reverse psychology trick of like, you already, you already love this and want this and you know how important this is for you. So <laughs> I like it. We're, I mean, we're always kind of leaning on psychology and these people first organizations and just working with other people in general. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause everyone sh- in the organization should have these opportunities. Right. Um, even you, right. As, uh, the, as the head of HR or like Amy as the, um, director or VP of marketing, like, do you stop growing or do you, you know, what does, how does your organization support you when you're like, Hey, I'm on, I'm on top. (laughs) Yes. Well, I, so (laughs) that's kind of you. I feel like, um, every day I learn something new, but one differentiation I want to make in this is that you whoever you are, me included learning is like, if you do my Clifton strengths in my top five, I'm a learner. So like my DNA is built to learn. That's just who I am. So if you come and work on my team, I'm pushing you to learn all the time. It's just kind of native because it's native for me. So I don't need an organization to give me anything. I'm going to just go learn on my own because I know it creates what I want in my life and the vision for who I am. So that's just me. If it's not, I see a lot of learners out there. If it's not something native to you, that's okay too. So is it a skill you want to learn? You want to learn how to learn because it's important because you want to be the best data scientist that's out there. If you want to be the best data scientist that's out there, you're going to have to learn how to learn what that is and and do that. Or I would challenge that you're not really committed to that goal and that's okay too. So you know, learning doesn't have to be innate to you to learn how to do it. You just have to decide what your goal is and how you want to go get it. And so for me, I'm going to pick organizations that are learning organizations and I'm going to pick leaders that are learning leaders because that's what's important to me. And so I think that's part of, you know, what you can look at as an organization and and most executives that I've met and talked to are natural learners. Like it seems like a, a constant theme. And I know one of you had stated it's hard to learn when your organization is not growing. And I'll tell you some of my best, my most painful learning experiences were when I was in organizations that were contracting. You know, in 2008, I was working in a general contractor and we had to lay off half of our team members that I had hired. And I remember the day I was going to do it, I broke out in hives. And, um, you know, as I went through and told 50 people and their families, that they don't have a job to come to anymore. And, you know, even when we went through um, hard times just a few years ago, you know, looking at how you conquer expense management in times when a business is not performing is one of the hardest things to do. And it's also one of the best skill sets you can gain when you're in a growth organization. Because growth learning is easy. It's actually constricted, non-performing business learning is hard. You really see what leaders are made of. And so don't give up that opportunity, whether your business is performing or not, the learning is there for you. You There's know, one getting here, in, yeah. if we want to do it from Tammy, this gets back to the beginning. How do we motivate employees to want to learn? You can't like, you can't like, you can't force people to do something they don't want to do. I, I, Takara, you and I were talking about this, like, let's hear it for the B players. It's an HBR article. It's fantastic. Not everybody wants to learn and you need those people on your team. 
So don't over, over index to learning that everybody wants it. They don't. And make sure you find great jobs where they have this core skill set and they've done it. Like uh, people that do payroll are like this, right? I love, I love great payroll team members. They come in, they want to do payroll. They do the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out, month close, month close out, and they love it. And that's okay. They don't want to learn how to do better payroll. They don't want to learn about, you know, benefits. They don't want to do other things. They just want to do that job. And that is okay. So be at peace with it. You know, many employees just want to have a job to make money and don't care to progress. That's okay. Like no judgment in it. Just find out what it is because maybe they want other things. And so like, let's, let's not judge it or go hire a different profile. The problem is that we need the bodies and we don't have the luxury of only choosing those who are the best fit. Um, so yes, I, I feel you there. And part of that is looking at the job and making sure you get the right people in the job and not getting people to be what they're not, because you can't change humans. There's only two things that change humans, passion or pain, right? They're either so passionately committed to something they're going to change, or they're in so much pain. They're forced to like change themselves. But we can't do it as HR professionals. So like take that monkey off your back. <laughs> That's what a relief, right? I, I love Norma said, love my steady eddies. Yeah. Um yeah. backbone workers, salt your rock solids, like um, whatever profile you might use. But there's definitely a, a need for those in the business. The business can't all be just like no. <laughs> growing and developing and and trying to all reach like director level or find newer, you know. Yeah, there's a reason that we need everybody and we work well together. Um, great. So coming up on uh, just some wrap ups, some actionable items that we really want to uh, make sure we go through. Yeah. So some ways to create learning or to create a learning hour, a learning day where everyone can take a class, learn something new. And I love it when they come back and they present. So, you know, I learned right away that the best way for me to learn is to learn and then teach. So that would be the add on for that. Check on, check in on in team members and encourage them to use their professional development benefits. Are they using the development benefits that you have in place and have them encourage others to do it? And then implement a coaching program for leaders and team members to get together and talk about it. What do you want to be when you grow up? What are the things that are important to you? Give them a quick, you know, five-step talking point guide on how to have these conversations and set them free to go do professional development. I used to be want to be a veterinarian when I grew up, but I think I want to be you now, Anita. <laughs> oh, you're so nice. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Anita, thank, thank you everybody. so much for your expertise. You're awesome. Okay. Thanks, Appreciate y'all. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambu HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash HR dash unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work.